Today's sermon comes from Acts chapter 27, verses 13 through 38. Now when the south wind blew, blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Nor'easter struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Kata, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo, and on the third day they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship, and he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. When the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little farther on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Several years back, we planted some pentas in two large planter pots on our back patio. And I started off great, was watering them every day, uh, and come spring, these pintas pushed out these beautiful pink blooms, just gorgeous. But as we got into summer and the newness of the pintas wore off, uh, I watered them less and less. And of course, you know, in, in Florida, when the heat of summer hits in July and August and it gets really hot, those planter pots on the back patio heated up tremendously, dried out the soil quickly, and eventually our pentas just, they didn't make it, they died. Now, 
The pentas died in the pot, but evidently they had dropped some seeds into the gaps between the pavers on our patio. Because come, you know, fall, winter, when we got to the next spring, we didn't replant the pentas, but these little pentas started sprouting out of the patio. It's amazing. Our patio needed pressure washing, so I pressure washed the patio and obliterated these uh, penta sprouts along with every other weed that was coming up through the patio. Next spring, actually this spring, uh, lo and behold, guess what started sprouting back again? These little pentas started sprouting. So not too long ago, a couple weeks ago, uh, we had other weeds in the patio. I took some weed control spray and I sprayed all the weeds, including these little penta sprouts. And the weeds turned brown quickly and they withered and died. Guess what stayed green? These pentas. It, it, they, they went from water to no water to hot sun to obliterated by a pressure washer to weed control, and they still kept coming. It's a picture of resilience. It's a good picture of resilience. Now, by the time that we've gotten to this point in the book of Acts, we're we're nearing the end. We have become accustomed to Paul facing hardship. We've almost gotten to the point where it's the new normal. Like, of course he's in a storm. Of course the ship's about to capsize. Of course he's about to die. This is nothing new. This has been Paul's journey. Hardship after hardship after hardship. And it's gotten to the point where at some point you would expect Paul to implode, to explode, or just to hang it up. But he doesn't. He's resilient. And the question is, why? What produces resilience in the face of sustained hardship? Some of you are are living through a season of sustained hardship. And the question is, what produces resilience when you face hardship after hardship after hardship? First, we're going to see that resilience is produced by Christ's word. Now, this passage highlights trust through and through. You say, why? What's going on here? Well, after Paul gets put on trial and tried by Agrippa and Festus, they agree to send him to Italy, to Rome, to go before Caesar. So they put him on this boat with other prisoners and send him off to Italy. This boat, as we see in the passage, has 276 people on it. Prisoners, soldiers, Roman centurions, and sailors. And on their journey, this nasty storm kicks up, a storm that the sailors actually had a name for. In verse 14, uh, as Luke describes this, and Luke, the author of Acts, is on this boat. This is an eyewitness account. Luke 
uses a word for the storm from which we get the word typhoon. So this is a typhoon type of storm that is kicked up on the sea. And it's, and it's even overwhelming these experienced sailors. They're overwhelmed by it. They take precautions. Uh, they, they take some dire measures to try to keep this ship afloat and to survive this storm. Verses 15 and 16, it says they pulled in the, the, the boats. That would be the dinghies, the, the, you know, the emergency boats. They pulled those in on board. Verse 17, they undergirded the ship with cables. That was a practice that was, they would take cables and wrap it around the hull to try to keep the timbers together. Then it says they dropped anchors that were to be kind of a mobile or a, a stabilizing effect as the ship was being tossed around. Verses 18 and 19, it says they jettisoned the ship's cargo. Now, a big part of the ship's cargo, as we see later in the passage, was wheat. In fact, the primary purpose of this ship's travel was to transport wheat. And so the ship's owners, uh, the ship owner, his livelihood was on this ship delivering the product. So the fact that they would be willing to jettison that cargo says how serious this situation was. And then they began to jettison spare gear. And all of this is evidence of the dire situation that's explained in verse 20. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. These were experienced sailors. They followed protocol. They did what they were supposed to do when a storm hit. They had done everything under their control, and they were in no better shape. The storm raged on. Their hope was gone. Their resilience was gone. There was no reprieve, no sun, no stars, no light of day. This was desperation, absolute desperation. And on top of that, we read in verse 21, since they had been without food for a long time, and we're going to see it got up to be two weeks long. They were without food. Now, they weren't without food because it wasn't on the ship. They did jettison some of the cargo, but we're going to see later in this passage, they had a big meal, and they ate till they were full. There was food on the ship, so why didn't they eat? Because they were seasick. Anybody ever been seasick? You have no appetite when you're seasick. And if they weren't seasick, they were anxious, they were worried, they had no appetite. This situation had gotten dire and desperate. Luke, who writes the book of Acts and who is on this ship, wants you to feel the gravity of the situation. That's his point. He wants you to feel the seriousness, the desperate situation they're in. To understand their hope was gone. Their resilience was gone. They didn't think they were going to make it. And with all hope gone, what possibly could produce resilience in this situation? What possibly could produce resilience in this situation? 
Paul gets up. He's a prisoner on the ship. He gets up and he speaks. Verse 22. Take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Why could Paul confidently say this? Verse 23. For this very night, there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. What produces resilience? It's a word. And it's not a word from you. Self-talk doesn't produce resilience. It's a word from God that produces resilience. God speaks to Paul, and through Paul, God speaks to this crew on this ship. And he gives Paul two promises. Number one, he says, Paul, you will stand before Caesar. We've seen it. It's not the first time this has been promised. Paul, you will make it to Rome, and you will stand before Caesar. And second, nobody's going to lose their lives. The ship's going to be lost, but nobody is going to lose their lives. And what I love about Paul's conclusion in verse 25 is his confidence in the word God had given him. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. In other words, God said it, it's as good as done. If God said it, it is as good as done. Resilience does not come from what you see. It comes from what you hear and specifically what you hear from Christ. If you believe that resilience comes from what you see, then you will attempt to take control of situations and circumstances so that you can see what you think will bring resilience. But if you believe that resilience comes from hearing Christ through his word, then you won't seek to control the situation and circumstance. You will seek to hear Christ's promise and his word in the midst of the situation, in the midst of the circumstance. And that is what brings resilience. That is what brings resilience. It's the difference between trust and control. We think that if we can control the situation and produce what we think we want to see that'll, that'll bring resilience, then we'll be in good shape. But control never, control never brings resilience. Control always brings despair. It's trust that brings resilience. 
And we see this in this passage. After Paul gives his speech, it says about midnight that the sailors realized the ship was nearing land. And so the sailors, realizing it's nearing land, they decide to drop some anchors, but they use that as a guise to actually drop the emergency boats, the dinghies into the water so they could get on and escape this ship that was gonna break to pieces. Paul sees this happening. He sees these sailors trying to bolt and escape. And he says in verse 31, Paul said to the centurion and soldiers, unless these men, these sailors, stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Now, Paul's speaking certainly on a very practical level here. If all the sailors leave the boat, who is gonna guide this boat forward, right? If the pilot gets ejected from the plane, who's gonna fly the plane? So this is very much a practical statement. But there's more to it. This is a statement that gets at the heart of trust versus control. Because these sailors heard Paul's speech. They heard God's word through Paul. They heard the promise that no one was going to lose their life and that the ship would run aground on some island. They heard this promise. The question was, would the sailors trust Paul's word or would they trust what they could see and therefore take control, drop the emergency boats, and try to save themselves. Pastor John on a checkway tells the story of watching the 2021 NCAA Men's Basketball Championship between Baylor and Gonzaga. He was a huge Baylor fan. And as he's watching the game, he was on a group chat, text chat, with a bunch of friends who were watching so they could text back and forth as the game went along. And at one point in the game, Baylor pulled out its star player. And Gonzaga went on a big run. And this infuriated him. He's a Baylor fan, and so he began to text his friends and say, what are they doing? This is gonna end up bad. And one of his friends texted back immediately and said, what are you talking about? The player's back in the game. And he realized at that point there was, a, there was a, a lag in his connection. And the lag got worse and worse so that he would, he would hear the announcer say, you know, the player, this player made the shot. But as he's watching the screen, the player's still dribbling around. And sometime later, he would make the shot. Now, here's what's striking as he tells the story. He didn't log on to fix the problem. Because he was, he was, he so badly wanted Baylor to win that he wanted to know immediately what was happening. So he decided he was going to trust the announcer's voice. He was going to trust the announcer's voice, even though he couldn't see it happening on the screen because of the delay. That he trusted what the announcer was saying was true, even though he couldn't see it. In other words, he trusted what he could hear, not what he, what he was seeing. Resiliency or resilience comes from what you hear from Christ, not what you see. Resilience 
comes from what you hear from Christ, not what you can see. So here's the question. In the face of your sustained hardship, are you seeking to take control of what you see? Or are you trusting what you hear from Christ through his word? What produces resilience in the face of sustained hardship? First, it's Christ's word. But second, it's Christ's strength. Christ's strength. This harrowing journey, this Storm rages on, and, and as it rages on, you see Paul. He's a prisoner. He's not a Roman centurion. He's a prisoner. But you see Paul increasingly taking on a leadership role on this boat. They have exhausted their resources. They have ex exhausted everything they could do to try to save this ship, and they begin to lean on Paul's guidance and Paul's wisdom. Verse 33, as day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food and saying, today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food for it will give you strength for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. Paul is carrying out the promise that God gave him. And the promise to Paul was, Paul, I am giving you everyone that's on board this ship. I'm giving them into your hands. In the midst of this storm, Paul became their protection. He became their strength. He became their wisdom. He became their guidance. Their survival depended on Paul because he had received this promise from God and Jesus was doing his work through Paul. The strength you see in Paul is the strength of Jesus Christ. Now, when you read the Bible, it's really important for you to find your right place in the story. In this story, you are not Paul. I am not Paul. Paul was an apostle. Jesus was working through Paul. You, we, are the people on the ship, which was a combination of Christ followers and many who were not Christ followers, didn't even know who God was, didn't believe in God. No different than this room today. Some of you have, have trusted Jesus Christ. Some of you haven't. Some of you are still investigating who Christ is, what Christianity is all about. We are all at a different place on our spiritual journey. But Paul, in this passage, he is the Christ figure. Jesus is doing his work through Paul. So any strength you see in Paul is not, oh, that's me, I've gotta be strong. No, the strength you see in Paul is the strength of Jesus Christ. In this storm, and it's a unique strength because it's strength in the face of difficulty. It's strength in the face of hardship. 
And yet, when you think about Jesus' life, that's exactly the strength that you see. Think about Matthew chapter four, when Jesus was tempted in the desert by the devil. 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus had fasted, which means that when the devil came to tempt him, he was weak, he was vulnerable, he was hungry. And the devil says to him, if you're the son of God, command those stones to become loaves of bread. Hadn't eaten for 40 days. And Jesus resisted the temptation. Devil would go on to tempt him two more times. Jesus resisted every time. That's strength. Now, later on in Jesus' earthly ministry, right before he'd be arrested and crucified, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he is deeply sorrowful. He is deeply stressed over what he is facing, which is going to the cross to be crucified. Says he was so stressed, so stressed that he was sweating drops of blood. You think about your stress. Have you ever been so stressed that you've sweat drops of blood? Jesus was stressed as he went to the cross. And yet he said, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. If there's another way, father, please don't make me go through this. It's too hard. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus exhibited tremendous strength when he faced the hard, when he faced the difficult. I was having a conversation recently with a young man who was facing something really hard, really difficult. He said, it's just too hard. And I said, Jesus understands because he's faced the hard, he's faced the difficult. And this young man said, yeah, but he's God. And he never sinned. Nothing was hard for him. How would you respond to that? I said, yes, Jesus was God and is God. But he's also fully human. And Jesus' humanity is not like a superhumanness. His two natures, fully divine, fully human, are not mixed into something that makes him something less than God or something more than human. And yes, in his full humanity, he was sinless. To which you might say, well, he's God, yeah, he's fully man. So when he was tempted, was it really hard for Jesus? Imagine you're in the desert. You're walking through a dry, arid desert and a sandstorm kicks up. And you begin to get pelted with sand that produces excruciating pain. Now, what's the easy thing to do in that situation? Is it easier to keep walking or is it easier to lay down? It's a lot easier to lay down. 
And that's what you and I do all the time when we're faced with sin and tempted by sin. You and I lay down all the time because it's just too hard to resist. And yet Jesus never laid down. He faced the storm. He faced the pain. He resisted till it hurt. That's strength. That is the strength of Jesus Christ. And when he faced the storm of God's judgment, he took it head on. He didn't lay down. And he took it head on for you, out of love for you. That is strength. That's the strength of Christ. You say, how do I get this strength? When I'm facing this sustained hardship and all I want to do is just lay down and give up. How do I get this strength? It's not by imitation. You don't get Jesus' strength by imitation. You get his strength by receiving it. You don't just bolt on Jesus' strength. You have to receive a strength that's outside of you, that comes into you and works through you. To consider two superheroes. Consider Batman and Spider-Man. Batman is very rich and very strong and has a bunch of cool gadgets. His superhero powers come from his external possessions. Spider-Man has some cool accessories, but Spider-Man's superhero power comes from him having gotten bitten by a radioactive spider that changed him. It changed his nature. That gave him a new power from the inside. Christ in you makes you more like Spider-Man than Batman. Christ changes you. He changes your nature. He comes, this outside alien power, alien strength comes into you and begins to work through you. That's not imitation. You can't imitate Jesus' strength. You receive it and it changes you and it starts working through you in situations where you would lay down if it were up to you. And if you try to imitate Jesus' strength, you're gonna lay down because you can't do it. His strength comes into you. It's a power you don't have in your own, and it works through you. Paul says this really well in Colossians 1.29. He says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy, not Paul's energy, Christ's energy, that he powerfully works within me. So if you get the strength of Christ, not by imitation, but by receiving Christ's strength, then what are the means or what's the channel through which this strength comes? Verses 35 to 36. 
And when Paul had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. Then to verse 38. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat to sea. This story is similar to Jesus feeding the 5,000. Jesus takes five loaves, two fish, feeds 5,000 people, gives thanks, and it says after every, all 5,000 plus ate the meal, they ate till they were satisfied. They ate till they were so full, and then it says there were 12 basketfuls left over. Here, everyone on the ship eats until they are absolutely satisfied, and there's still food left over, and they take that leftover food, and they jettison it out to sea. This, this is a story about feasting and about feeding. After the Jesus feeds the 5,000, the Gospel of John records what Jesus says after he feeds the 5,000. John 6.35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Throughout the scriptures, physical nourishment is oftentimes symbolic of spiritual nourishment. Resilience in the face of sustained hardship comes from feeding on Christ through his word. That's what produces resilience, is feeding on Christ. Feeding on his words, feeding on his person. And his words are not mysterious. You don't have to, to look around and try to read the stars and read the billboards and somehow get a mysterious message from Christ. He gives us his word. This entire story of the Bible is about him. His word is available. And the Spirit takes his word and, and drills it deeply into our hearts. And that's what produces Resilience. 1 Peter 1.23 says you have been born again. That means you've been changed. You've been transformed. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and, and abiding word of God. The word of God, the word of Christ is imperishable seed. When Sarah Salen moved back to Israel to take, to take a job at the Hadassah Medical Center, when she took her job, she began looking for uh, medicinal plants that had uh, served her well in one of her previous illnesses. And she was able to find some, but then as she was doing her job, as she was researching in this medical center, she learned about these ancient medicinal plants that had existed way far in the past that they, they didn't have anymore. She, she says it this way, of these ancient medicinal plants, they're just historical ghosts, like the famous date plantations along the Dead Sea 2,000 years ago, described by Pliny, described by Josephus, the first century historian. They're not there anymore. They just vanished. 
But then she realized that these seeds from these ancient medicinal plants had been at the archaeological sites where they'd done digs. And so, so she went to the archaeologists to, to, to suggest getting those seeds and trying to plant them. And of course, it didn't go well. The, the archaeologists thought she was crazy and thought, this, this isn't even conceivable. What are you talking about? But she pushed, she pressed, and they finally gave her some of these ancient seeds and she planted them. And weeks later, they began to sprout. And later on, her and her colleagues, they wrote in a science journal that they grew six trees from these ancient seeds. The word of God is likened to imperishable seed. The word of God is an imperishable seed. The word of Christ is an imperishable seed. And yet we live in a world that offers so much perishable seed to give you resiliency as you face your sustained hardship. We're in a world full of perishable seed and it promises this resilience and it never delivers. Whether it be the news of the day or the hot topic trending on social media or the new product that promises to invigorate, or the ideology that will return our culture to its glory days, whatever it may be. The word of God is imperishable seed that changes you, that transforms you, that gives you resilience as you face sustained hardship. It is the imperishable seed. Since Jesus died and rose from the dead 2,000 years ago, cultural moments have come and gone over and over and over. But the imperishable seed of God's word has continued to bear fruit, change lives, give resilience in the face of sustained hardship. The question is, are you trusting Christ through his word in the midst of your sustained hardship? Are you trusting Christ's strength that he delivers to you through his word in the midst of your sustained hardship? Let's pray. Father, there are many in this room who are right in the middle of and in the face of sustained hardship. And all of us to some degree, maybe past, maybe present, understand what that is. And we confess, Father, how quickly we try to take control to try to manipulate what we're seeing, to get it to be something that we think will produce resilience. And if we're honest with ourselves, it produces nothing but more despair. Father, forgive us. Would you give us the strength by your spirit 
to trust your word, to trust what we hear from you, not what we see. Holy Spirit, would you take the word and would you drill it deep into our hearts that we would hear from Christ in the midst of the situation that has us lost with no hope, just as Paul and his crew were in this storm, would you give us a deep, resounding hope that comes from the word of Christ? Would you sustain us? Would you give us resilience to continue to press on because of what we hear from you, Jesus, and because of the strength that we receive from you? We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.